You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 207. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. Great to be back with you again this week. We have a busy show, and I will start with a brief segment on our recently released 2023 cash investment product report, where we give you tips on and recommendations on where to park the cash in your portfolio for the highest return. Aaron will answer a listener question on Nuvi Corporation, NVEI, on the TSX, which received a Canadian celeb investment and endorsement from Ryan Reynolds who recently seems to be trying to buy everything in Canada as of late. Nuve is a payment processor that we have looked at in the past, and Aaron reviews the company today and lets you know if Deadpool has made a smart investment. Also, in our Your Stock Our Take segment, Brett answers a viewer question on MDA, limited simple MDA on the TSX, a provider of advanced technology and services to the rapidly expanding global space industry. The company primarily serves the U.S. and Canadian governments. The stock has had a volatile year, and a viewer asked if there's an opportunity long-term in the burgeoning space industry via MDA. Finally, Brennan answers a viewer question on Eagle Plains Resources Limited, symbol EPL on the TSX Venture, a microcap mineral exploration company operating in Western Canada, exploring for gold, critical metals, uranium, lithium, rare earth elements, and industrial minerals, and anything else they want, it appears. I welcome my co-hosts this week. Let's get to the show. I welcome you guys. Uh, Brennan, Aaron, the killer bees, Brett and Brennan. How are you guys doing? Pretty well. Yeah, not doing bad, except for a devastating loss for the Oilers last night. <clears throat> it, looked, <laughs> it looked great on them, the I have to say. Fan. The Kings, uh, what, they're up 2 nothing or up by yeah, 2 into the 3rd or something like that? Up by 2 into the 3rd. And lost it in overtime. Beautiful. And yep, I think it was about a thir- 38-year-old uh, in uh, Anze Kopitar that had four points in the games. Good to see. Losing yeah. to some ger- geriatric. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm sure you like that. <laughs> yeah. It helps. Yeah. No, um, and Brennan, you had some family over the weekend, didn't you? Yeah. Hung out with uh, my uncle and auntie. They were here from Lethbridge, so had, some good- had a good time with them. The weather was beautiful in Saskatoon, um, but it's snowing right now. We're getting hammered with snow right now uh nice. so good old saskatchewan yeah uh, nothing better than a 28 year calling me, spring day telling their aunt auntie right? yeah auntie auntie yeah. is that just a typical Brennan. spring day in saskatoon yeah i think the latest i've ever seen like you know a foot of snow is probably like april 12th so i mean we'll see if this snow sticks around i think that it is actually going to try but We'll see. Yeah, hopefully not. Because I just pulled out my Subaru here uh, last uh, weekend as well. So, uh, you know. Player, your player mobile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. how he gets the ladies with the Subaru. 
No, it no. is. Yeah, it's it's a souped up Subaru. Isn't if it? anything, it turned more guys are like, "Whoa, look, look!" And girls don't even care about it because they think there's a female driving it. That's why. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> Subaru, it's a great car. What am I talking about? It looks, it looks great, Brandon. It looks great. Thank you. All right, so <laughs> let's. Um, there was some news out this week. Apple Card's new high yielding savings account is now available, offering four point one percent APY. Um, Apple users can choose to grow their daily cash rewards with this savings account from Goldman Sachs. Uh, they're saying this 4.15%, that's a rate that's more than 10 times the national average. Well, I have to say Apple was clearly riding our coattails this week. Uh, three weeks ago, we released a report. I'm going to review that right now. I'm here today to tell you where to park your cash in your portfolio for the highest return. Now you can get this full report that tells you exactly where to park your cash by signing up to receive our podcast weekly via the link below. It is fully free, so take advantage of that. So what is this report? There you can see it. This is the one right there, which our clients got three weeks ago and you can access today. It is a special report on where, it's essentially where we take a quick look at the most effective and highest paying investment vehicles to invest the excess cash in your investment portfolio. We focus on safe, highly liquid investments where you can park your excess cash primarily with the, within a discount brokerage account. Now, why do we do this? Well, frankly, because we kept answering client questions on the topic and because most Canadians are not getting good advice on where to invest the excess cash in or out of their portfolios. More on that in a second. With interest rates moving significantly higher over the past year, returns on your cash are far better than they were for the balance of the past decade. So who is this report for? Well, this can apply to someone who is just starting building their portfolio on their journey, or those with an existing portfolio that hold between 5 to 10% cash, or those who were fully invested but have recently sold shares in a company and need to place some of that excess cash while they look to redeploy those funds. Now, because Keystone's portfolio building strategy includes building the equity or stock portion of your portfolio systematically over an 18 to 24 month period, the question of where to park your cash while constructing a stock portfolio is far more relevant than if you're with a traditional advisor, which deploys all your cash via ETFs, mutual funds, and stocks at one point in time. We call this an unwise strategy. Now let's circle back to the rates for a moment. This chart shows Bank of Canada's overnight rate for the past 10 years. As you can see, the current rate is 4.5%. It's far superior to any other period, particularly early in 2020 to early 2022, when the rate was basically zero. Now, the amount you can earn on your cash matters again, and Canadian investors not paying attention to this are losing out. So let's look forward here. To be blunt, we find that many traditional big bank advisors are not doing a good job placing their clients' excess cash in highly liquid, higher-yielding investments. We have seen this in many portfolios over the past several months, and we can confirm this. Why? Well, let me speculate for a moment. Banks are essentially incentivized to give you the lowest rate possible and lend out your money to other Canadians at the highest rate possible. For banks, this is how they make their money. It is all about the spread, that spread, 
between the two. The higher the spread, the better, period. Even if they have the investment products that will pay you more, some will highlight in this report and I'll talk about today. In most cases, they make them tricky for the average Canadian investor to find. Three of the big banks even block investors in their discount brokerage accounts from even accessing some of the highest paying cash type ETF investment options we found in our report, which is frankly ridiculous. Now, what type of investment vehicles did we look at in this report? Well, we focused on investment savings accounts or ISAs, T-bills, GICs, and cash type EPS. Today, I'm going to highlight and define investment savings accounts and cash type ETFs to find the highest return for the cash in your portfolio. Let's start with some notes on investment savings accounts. What are they? Well, they essentially purchasable through a discount brokerage losing its respective fund code like a standard mutual fund. Like a normal bank account, the interest rates are variable with no restrictions as to when they can change. So if we continue to see the Canadian policy rate move higher, these accounts will likely rise as well. And similarly, if the policy rate were to fall, the interest rate received would fall as well. However, increases and decreases do not absolutely follow the policy rate. It's still They are still subject to competition between banks and supply and demand from depositors. However, there are some cons compared to normal savings accounts. You will likely need to wait what is called T plus one for your settlement, meaning you will need to wait one day to withdraw your money, as well as waiting one day before your money starts to collect interest. Not that this is much of an issue, but we want to point it out. Additionally, you may need to invest a minimum amount, usually a lower threshold, but it's something to be aware of. A couple of last notes on investment savings accounts. You can also deposit US dollars in an investment savings account. You may receive a different interest rate compared to the Canadian dollar accounts as US dollar accounts are based on the US interest rate. Now Canadian and US interest rates are currently and historically close and move similarly, but there is no guarantee that will remain true. Investment savings accounts pay higher interest than normal savings accounts. The big five banks products currently range from between 4.05% to 4.5%. Banks will also commonly restrict you to only purchasing their investment savings accounts, which again is a shame. But to summarize on ISAs, essentially what you're looking at here is the best return that we can find right now is about 4.5% in this category. The pros are higher returns, they are CDIC insured up to $100,000. The cons here may be specific to that broker or or bank that you're using. They are tradable only during certain hours depending on the broker. And the other thing to keep in mind here, the interest rate is variable. We find they are best for small and frequent deposits. Let's look at those high interest deposit ETFs. Now the basics of this category, Exchange traded funds or ETFs are traded like stocks, but are managed similarly to other funds like mutual funds. There is an array of high interest savings ETFs, but the following all function in the same manner. The fund manager collects hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars and then places the funds in high interest savings accounts at various chartered Canadian banks. As the funds are depositing significantly more than the average person, they are able to gain preferential rates, essentially higher rates, 
from the various banks they deposit at. Like a normal savings account or savings investment account, the investor rates are variable. They can increase or decrease with prevailing rates. However, these ETFs are not covered by the CDIC, like investment savings accounts, which I just talked about above. So if a bank were to default, you could be at risk of losing a portion or all of your holdings, however unlikely that may be. Let's look at five popular high interest deposit ETFs. For these ETFs, forward yield is the current rate of interest on the underlying savings account. Trailing yield will differ from forward yield as it is what was actually received over the past year. ETFs conduct monthly distributions of interest. As well, they pay a distribution, distribution that will reset the price of the ETF to say $50 once the date of record occurs. By resetting the price, you will have little or potentially no capital gain or loss once selling. Net yield is the yield less the management expense ratio or the MER, which you can see there in the final column. In this category, there is another option. If we look here, it is the HSAV on the TSX. Forward yield right now is around 4.88. Essentially, the HSAV does not pay monthly distributions and instead accumulates funds, which allows for long-term compounding. It shifts the taxation from interest income to capital gains, which is more tax efficient and can delay the taxation if held for long periods. However, HSAV tends to have a larger variance from its net asset value due to no capital being returned. Additional notes here to take into account in terms of these high interest deposit ETFs. Depending on your brokerage, you may be charged a fee for buying and selling your ETFs like a stock. Trading fees can substantially impact your return, particularly if you're investing a smaller amount. Example here, if you are charged $10, for example, in your discount brokerage account to buy or sell, buying or selling the ETF costs you $10 for each tra uh, transaction for a total of $20. Now, if your principal invested, for example, is $2,000, the $20 trading fees are 1% of your principal, resulting in about $1,980 actually being invested. Let's say you're receiving an additional 0.5% over the net yield on one of the investment savings accounts, which I highlighted above, which have no trading fees. It will take a holding period of just under two years invested before an ETF produces higher returns compared to the investment savings account options at this smaller amount of around $2,000. Whereas if you invested $200,000, a larger amount, an ETF's higher yield would produce a higher return in less than two weeks. So in this investment vehicle, size matters. If you are investing lower amounts and want liquidity, an investment savings account could be a better option. As well, since fees are on a per transaction basis, if you're regularly adding to your position, you will need to account for the additional fees. In summary, on these high interest deposit ETFs, simply put, smaller and more frequent transactions will produce lower returns than a single large purchase for ETFs. If you wish to do frequent and or small transactions and investment savings account is likely the better option. ETFs can potentially deviate from net asset value, but for this type of ETF, the deviation is normally 
plus or minus two cents as market participants actively arbitrage these securities, meaning there is lower risk of the security deviating from the underlying deposit value, but not no risk in some names. Now, due to the trading, due to trading as an ETF, buying and selling is only available during market hours. So if you believe you want to access these funds on a weekend or holiday, ETFs may not be the best choice for you. We see right there the top rate at present is in the range of 4.88%, which is a strong return on your cash. You can get our special report today and find out more details. It's free. Finally, we have discovered that some brokers may restrict you from buying these ETFs to push you to buy their own investment products. Surprise, surprise from the Canadian financial industry. Specifically, TD, BMO, and RBC discount services are known to block these products, which is unfortunate and not in the interest of you as a loyal client. Again, click the link below, sign up for our podcast, and learn more about stocks, investing, and products like these, and get this report for free. Thank you, and profitable investing. Good, good job. I mean, that is, pro that, well, that is the most comprehensive report and analysis that I've seen on that subject anywhere. I actually learned a lot uh, from, from, from that report. And for years, as you said, Ryan, we were asked by our clients, what do I do when I have money yeah. that I need to park, cash that I need to park, that I want to invest in the future, but I don't want to invest right away? Well, a year ago, you weren't really getting anything from any type of fixed income or zero risk investment. So there wasn't a great answer. Now there's a good answer. And it's actually a lot more complicated. Well, not, I mean, it's simplified in this report, but um, there are a lot of options, right? And each one with yeah. its own strengths and weaknesses. So it's, I think it's, it's the most comprehensive report I've seen on the subject. Yeah, I, get, I gave you some options there, but if you want the full report, just sign up to our podcast. We'll send that off to you. It's 12 pages. If you want to just read the first page, it basically summarizes our top picks for whatever you're, uh, you want to do with your cash in your portfolio. Brett did an awesome job. Shout out to Brett for putting that report together. Nice job. Well done. Brennan, you got to do better. I'm just yep. I'm, I'm kidding. Bre Brennan's doing a great job at something, I'm sure. Yeah, we don't know why. <laughs> yeah. uh... <laughs> he is. We just like to rip everybody. Yep. Okay. Aaron's got a segment. He's going to look at what Deadpool is investing in these days. And uh, Aaron, take it away. Sure. I wish, so... he'd buy I wish he'd buy the Canucks. Not there. So yeah, we're going to just talk a little bit about Nuve because I saw a press release yesterday and uh, it, I've had a lot of questions on it already. It's uh, a release talking about how Ryan Reynolds has invested in Nuve Corporation. And there's always, you know, a lot of buzz whenever you hear about a famous person, whether they're famous for being an investor athlete or whatever, but being associated with a company and investing in that company. So my thought is, you know, I, I, I've never seen a Ron Reynolds movie that I didn't like. Um, you know, my thought was, is, does he know what he's talking about? I mean, he, is he an investor that we should listen to for advice? So I, I just, I did a little bit of research. Have, have you would, seen the Green Lantern? <laughs> I have not seen the Green Lantern. Even, even he reps it. Yeah, even he reps it. No, I, I enjoy the movies, uh, his movies. But anyways, is, you know, does he, you know, does he have an inside track? Does he know something about the company that we need to know? Is he investor that we should listen to? So I did a little bit of research. I thought I would just take the words right from his own mouth 
Are you a um, fintech guy, though? Uh, no, I know nothing about fintech. Thank God. Um, thank God I'm not running the company. I, I, my job is uh, storytelling. I think at Maximum Effort, our job is, is, uh, would be more defined in not necessarily financial investment, but emotional investments. Okay, I don't know what emotional investment really is. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll say that, you know, probably I'll, I'll continue to watch Ryan Reynolds movies. I don't know if I'm going to take my, my stock recommendations and financial advice from him. But regardless, let's just take a look at, at the company here. Nuve Corporation trades under the symbol NVEI uh, on the TSX and on the NASDAQ. So on the TSX in Canadian dollars, trading at about $57 per share, 8 billion market cap company. It's a pretty big company for Canada, especially in the technology space where the Canadian market is very weak. So what do they do? Well, Nuve provides a, a technology platform that enables businesses to accept various payment methods, issue cards, access banking, risk and fraud management services. So it's it's a fintech company, um, one of or, or potentially the largest in Canada. Now, if you look at the performance over the last couple of years, the company just became public in uh, 2020, towards the end of 2020. And like most tech stocks, had a huge run up for most of 2021. It had hit a price around November, October of around $170. And since then, it's been mostly downhill. Now, this is pretty typical chart pattern for the technology sector, both in Canada and the US, but trading for, as I said, about $57 right now. So a big drop since the end of 2021. Taking a look at the recent financials, uh, Q4 and the, and the full year results were, were issued a few weeks ago. Um, revenue or volume growth was strong in Q4, up 28%. Uh, revenue growth only about 4%. Adjusted EBITDA was down 6% and adjusted EPS was 47 cents, unchanged year over year in the quarter. The full year results were a little more impressive. Volume growth up 34%, revenue up 16%, adjusted EBITDA up 11%, and then adjusted EPS of $1.86 up 10%. These are all in, in US dollars as well. Now, historically, as I'd said, the company just went public in 2020. We only have three years of financial performance. Uh, historically, what I'm seeing is a company that has a track record of growth, at least for the last couple of years as well as a track record of profitability. But I will note that growth had slowed in 2022. Um, so volume growth slowed down to 34% from 121% in the year before. Revenue growth, again, 16% in 2022, compared to 93% the year before and 53% the year before that. Um, EBITDA as well, uh, growth slowing in 2022 and margins declining just, just very slightly. The company did issue guidance for 2023. So for volume, they're expecting growth in the range of 52 to 57%. They are expecting strong growth in revenue for the year, about 45 to 50%, uh, and as well, strong growth in adjusted EBITDA from 29.6 to 35.8. Now, it is important to note that most of this growth is going to be coming from an acquisition, uh, the PAYA acquisition, which was completed in February uh, for $1.3 billion. So this is essentially, you know, where the company is getting the majority of that growth from. Uh, it's, it's not organic. And we have to consider that because we can't just extrapolate that high level, that guidance in 2023 going, going forward.
but the company has issued a medium-term growth target. And they're estimating that revenues are going to grow at an average rate of about 20% annually year over year for the medium term. I would take the medium term to do the three to five years that wasn't specified. They're looking at adjusted EBITDA margins of 50% plus, which would be an improvement. Now, one thing that is important to note is that the acquisition of PAYA actually reduces the medium term growth target. So whereas before they were estimating 30% annual revenue growth, uh, that has now dropped again down to 20%. Valuation. Um, so if we look at the uh, enterprise value to EBITDA based on um, based on the acquisition and the guidance, you know, we're looking at probably the 12 to 15 times. Now, if you just base it off of the balance sheet that existed um, when when the fourth quarter ended, you know, you're looking at about 12 times, but they've added debt since then. Uh, price to adjusted earnings for 2022, based on 2022 reported adjusted earnings, it's at about 23 times. They haven't issued earnings guidance. So, you know, we would expect that, um, I know that the company is expecting and analysts are expecting earnings growth in, in 2023, but we're still going to be looking at about 20 times multiple um, on a forward basis. So what is our take on, on New Day? Well, generally speaking, strong fundamentals uh, strong revenue growth, you know, EBITDA growth, consistent profitability. They also have positive guidance. Analysts are expecting growth in earnings as well. Um, however, we do need to note that growth has slowed. Um, EPS or earnings per share growth has been significantly lagging the revenue growth. And the valuation is not particularly cheap, especially when we compare this to a lot of the big U.S. tech names that have pulled back as well. Now, 20 times, I would not consider that expensive. I would not consider it especially cheap. Um, but given the fact that earnings growth has slowed or growth has slowed generally, we have to consider that 20% 20, 20 revenue growth is still impressive. But if earnings growth is going to is going to lag that significantly, um, then it, at, at you know the very basic level, this, this would be fair valued. Uh, so what are our next steps? Well, we don't have any near-term plans to purchase or recommend the company, but we would continue to monitor it see how the integration of PAYA goes. Now, whenever a company acquires and starts to integrate another very large company, it's a large acquisition, there's always risk involved in that. Is the integration going to go um, as planned? Are they going to be able to deliver on the synergies? A lot of times what you will see is, is revenue and overall EBITDA, even overall earnings will grow quite a bit, but earnings on a per share basis or free cash flow on a per share basis will not. And it's really that per share free cash flow and earnings that we consider to be the most important metrics because that's what you own as an investor. You own shares. Um, just growing the absolute size of the company often only benefits the management team. So our, our advice, our main advice here is, you know, don't buy stocks just because they're owned by famous people. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, it seems like he's becoming more of a spokesperson for the company. This isn't say anything necessarily about his financial knowledge of it or his knowledge of the industry. As we heard, he confesses that he knows nothing about fintech and he's not a financial guy. So I, I love him as an iconic Canadian actor. I'm definitely going to watch Deadpool 3. Um, but uh, in terms of getting my financial advice, I, I think that I'll, uh, I'll look elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, he raises the profile of the company, which is good. That's what they're kind of asking him to do. But 
as far as, you know, we have to look at the fundamentals of the underlying business and, you know, there's good growth in revenues. Uh, a lot of it comes from acquisition. I'd love to be breaking out more on the organic side of the business. I'd like to see the, the organic growth profile being broken out more. Um, you know, the growth by acquisition is fine, but uh, either going into debt to do it as well. Um, rates are rising. It can shrink profitability over time if you've uh, done this incorrectly. And it does look like a lot of the growth when we've looked at the business has come from acquisition. And there's, you know, a lot of acquisitions in the past have been in some industries, including gaming and uh, th that have traditionally had a lower multiple applied to them. Now th the stock, we favored it over a company like Lightspeed in Canada um, because it was actually had even on an adjusted basis profitability and it points net income as well, which is good to see from a business where Lightspeed, uh, we'd had clients asked to compare them in the past. Uh, Lightspeed just didn't even have profitability on an adjusted basis. So, you know, it was a no non-starter for us. Nuve would be closer to what we would be looking for, but uh, we continue to like to see better organic growth on the profile for the business, not just growth from acquisitions. And you raised a great point too about the debt. They went from a net cash position yeah. now to do like a nice 200, $250 million net cash position now to uh, about an $800 million net debt position to do this acquisition. So it it's really a big swing. It's a huge swing. Yeah, And we've seen a number of tech or other type of businesses do this over the past 10, 20 years. And, um, it can be a fine line that you're walking uh, to have that net cash position. Uh, you know, sometimes you want to opportunely step in and you can make a good investment, but sometimes you can just cross the line into where you never are able to gain because, you know, you're paying an interest expense. You're never going to be able to get the margins uh, on a profit basis that you have in the past. And you then never get the multiple that you expected to get. And then you might have to, at some point, do a financing to pay off that debt. And the financing might be at a lower price. And it can be a bit of a spiral for some of these companies. So debt is not an evil thing. But, you know, you've really gone from a switch of a net cash position to a significant net debt. And Aaron pointed that out right there. And we have to monitor that going forward. It's going to juice revenues. But is it going to three years, five years from now, are we going to say this company is way more profitable because of that acquisition? Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. what the market will need. And just, you know, going off of Aaron's advice, you know, don't invest because of a celebrity. I mean, it's. Unless it's Warren Buffett. Well, yeah, I guess unless it's Warren Buffett. <laughs> but I mean, look though, at FTL. You know, like, I know, of course yeah, not. I, I wouldn't he, buy something just because yeah, Warren Buffett bought it, right? I mean, I mean we, you just had the segment. He, it's, it's basically 12 investments over 58 years that are exactly. really driven. So if you just bought, you know, if you bought the 12 others that didn't do well, you know, and there's more than 12, obviously. Yeah, but I, you know, you don't do it. You don't just buy because somebody's endorsing it and cheering. Exactly. And again, look at FTX. You know, look at how many people endorsed FTX and uh, where it is now. All geniuses, though. What are we talking? Yeah. And all one. geniuses. You mean? FTX? Yeah, there was. <laughs> no FTX. FTX. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the internet's going to be after you again, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. I'd I'd say that uh, as an investor, though. Um, Ryan Reynolds may be brighter than a lot of the people who invested in yeah. FTX though. Yeah, no, I would agree. Well, with yeah. That. I mean, at the end of the day, this is, this is a profitable company with revenue, a decent balance sheet. It's not like he's 
putting his name behind behind something that's completely speculative. No. It's one of the one one of or the largest. I'm I'm not sure, but a, a major yeah. thing that player in Canada and a legitimate business. So. Yeah, I mean, he's there's certainly worse names that he could have put his name behind mm-hmm. in the Canadian markets. Like this is a company that matches a lot of our criteria. It's really stringent our criteria. But there's you know we're just pointing out some of the issues besides just you know hearing the headline news that Ryan Reynolds has invested in this company, right? And again, if Ryan is listening, please buy the Canucks. Can you just please? Yeah, I was just going to say too. So did he? Did his bid end up getting accepted for the Ottawa Senators? I mean, like I believe it's moving percentage. forward. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. It's moving forward. I mean, he's part of the deal, right? Like, it's not all just Ryan Reynolds paying yeah. like just yeah. under a billion yeah. uh, for the Senators. But yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, just uh, we welcome you to come back to Vancouver and buy the Canucks. Buy Can you own two right teams? <laughs> you can't. Right. Anyways, that, that's enough on that. Let's get to uh, Brett answering a viewer question on MDA, MDA on the TSX. You, you've stopped yourself from saying MDNA a few times, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, it's true. It's try. It's I, hard. I, it's hard. You're going. You're going into space. The final yes. frontier. We are going into space. The final frontier. Brennan has no Brennan idea ha- what I'm talking about. <laughs> he no, never no, does. No, when I, Aaron knows. I, I hope Aaron yes. knows. That's that's more no, of Star Wars, like, right? and you just lost another half the audience after fxt all right let's go to mdna (laughs) mda symbol mda on the tsx is a leading provider of advanced technology and services to the rapidly expanding global space industry the company primarily serves the u.s and canadian governments and has three segments geointelligence robotics and space operations and satellite systems The price of the stock has moved up and down this year, but is still up roughly 5% year to date at 665 and a market cap of 793 million. Moving to the income statement, the company releases Q4 2023 earnings on March 23rd. The company had strong revenue growth of 34% to 641 million. The strong revenue growth can be attributed to strong growth in its two segments, satellite systems and robotics and space operations which grew by 157% and 60% respectively for the quarter year over year. Robotics and space operations primarily grew to its work on the CANDARM-3 program, while satellite systems growth was driven by its Global Star program, which was awarded in Q1 2022. Before I go through EBITDA and earnings, I will preface this by saying they are naturally lumpy due to the nature of the business, and a one-quarter increase or decrease is not a sign of a trend, especially in a contract-driven business like this. However, adjusted EBITDA grew to $39.9 million from $26.8 million, a 49% increase year-over-year. However, adjusted EBITDA margin did decrease from 23.2% in Q4 2021 to 21.4% in Q4 2022. Diluted earnings per share increased to $0.07 cents per share from $0.00 cents just above or just above break-even. Comparing the full years, adjusted EBITDA increased 15% to 157.9 million from 137.1 million. 2022 had diluted earnings per share of 21 cents compared to 2 cents, obviously a significant increase on gap earnings. The company still does have a strong backlog of 1.4 billion since it received large contracts for its work on the Global Star Lower Orbit Constellation and Phase B of its Canada Arm 3 in the first half of 2022. Since the initial jump at the start of 2022, the backlog has slowly shrunk by about 150 million. 
But sharp interest like this then slow declines over time is expected in a contract-based business like MDNAs. So moving to the balance sheet now. The company is unsurprisingly in a net debt position. MDA holds cash of $39.3 million and debt and leases of $251.9 million, resulting in net debt position of $212.6 million. The debt is floating at a rate of CDR plus 45 to 175 basis points, depending on the leverage, of course. And this results in MDA having a net debt adjusted EBITDA of about 1.3 times, which is significantly higher than previously, but not unmanageable compared to last year. As well, they have hedged 150 million of their debt, resulting in 95 million of that being unhedged. So while interest rates will negatively affect if they continue to go up, MBNA, I keep saying it, but MDA, <laughs> uh, they're not overly sensitive. Like you'll see some companies with this absurd amount of floating uh, net debt. So valuation. The company does provide guidance for 2023. However, I will preface this as well. The company's guidance for 2022 was expecting high, uh, revenue of 750 to 800 million revenue, with it actually being just at 641, with adjusted EBITDA being on the high end of their guided range. So always take guidance with a grain of salt. They can just be completely wrong or they can be right on. It's something which you want to really gauge management's past history. And in their case, they were wrong on the revenue, but they were correct on the EBITDA, which is a bit strange. Don't even say that the other way around, because revenue is generally easier to gauge. So for management guidance for 2023 or this year, revenue is expected to be between 750 to 800 million, with adjusted EBITDA of 145 to 155, and a margin of 19 to 20%. If this is correct, this would result in about 21% revenue growth, but slightly lower adjusted EBITDA for the year compared to 2022. And if you were paying attention to their guidance, that's about the same as their initial guidance as the previous year. So we'll see if they're right this time around. But this leads to the trailing price to earnings being 32 times, trailing EV to adjusted EBITDA of 6.6 times, and using the guidance midpoint, forward EV to adjusted EBITDA of 7 times. The valuation on the company is high given the muted growth in 2023. That being said, MDA in the long term does have prospects of high growth given the industry's growth. But at this time, I would not be willing to pay that premium of a price. But we will continue monitoring the company going forward. Awesome. Yeah, quite a quite a differential between the price to earnings multiple and the EV to EBITDA multiple. And you know, once again, as a as an investor. It's really, it's, it's, you know, your dividends are, your, your dividends are paid out. Not that this company pays a dividend, but like any benefit you get as an investor generally comes down to the earnings, right? Like that's, that is the profitability for the common stock shareholders. EBITDA is, is a good measure of operating profitability, but that's not the profitability that accrues to the benefits of the, of the common shareholders. So we look at, we're often asked, you know, do you just look at the, do you look at the price, the earnings, price, the cash flow, EV to EBITDA? Um, we look at all the multiples because each one tells a bit of a different story. But really, to us, the most important metrics would be a price to free cash flow or price to earnings, assuming that the earnings quality of the company is strong. Yeah, it's interesting. I had no idea that uh, they were the company who initially made the Canada arm. Um, yeah, I wasn't, I didn't know that. That's uh intriguing um it's because you're 28 that's why i guess so almost 29 <laughs> it's probably part of it right probably part yeah, of it's it. true yes. um yeah 
I, I should also... have. I just disclosed your age. Oh no, that's cat's right. out of the bag. No, Jeez. That's all right. I think we've said something like that before. Yes, it's, it's a good um, thing when you're under. Um, yeah, exactly. Yes, it is. Yeah, we wish we were. Too, <laughs> me and Aaron wish we were 28. Okay, so can we trade ages with you just for a sec? Yeah, earlier this all month. Right. I mean, this is a bit of a tangent too. I just think that it's an interesting point because I just learned it uh, as well. A part of the Artemis Two mission. Uh, where we're finally going back to the moon here. Um, there's going to be a Canadian on board that mission, uh, along with uh, three other uh, U.S. Uh, uh, astronauts. So I thought that that was kind of interesting that, uh, you know, a, a Canadian is going to be going around the moon, not on the moon, but around the moon. Um, anyways. <laughs> what are you talking? We've never been to the moon. What are you talking about? Come on. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Conspiracy. And Canadians <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. I'm kidding. Yeah. No, no, this what? guy. No, nothing to do with MDA, Aaron. Are um, we talking about MDNA, MD, and A's or MDA? I don't know. I'm, I'm not, not sure. Ryan has just that, said that, that, it got confusing. So many times. He... I know. I know. Yeah. It's a reflex cool. for us. <laughs> yep. All right. Let, let's get to Brennan's so Aaron can get out of here. Uh, Eagle Plains Resources Limited, EPL and TSX, a microcap mineral exploration company. Brennan, you have it. You're the man. Close Thank us you. out strong. Close um, us out strong. Well, I'll try. I don't know. That's uh, that's hard to follow up now with that. Um, but yes, uh, Eagle Plains Resources. So this question came in from Brian, who is a long-time uh, client of ours. Uh, so thank you for the question, Brian. Um, so Eagle Plains Resources Limited, EPL on the TSX Venture, currently trading at a price of about $0.29 cents per share and a market cap of about $32 million. So Eagle Plains Resources is a mineral exploration company operating in Western Canada, exploring for gold, uh, critical metals, uranium, lithium, rare earth metals, and industrial minerals. Um, but the company is multifaceted, essentially, given that it has a royalty holding company, a project generator, uh, as well as a geological contractor through its subsidiary, uh, TerraLogic Exploration Services. And over the company's history, it has paid out more than $100 million in dividends to shareholders through spinouts, and it currently has equity investments uh, through 19 different companies. So uh, as I mentioned, the company is both an exploration and a royalty company. So on its exploration side, it has over 35 projects in Western Canada, uh, which include nine option agreements. Um, and I'll quickly show up on the screen here the company's various exploration programs and developments it has in place for the 2023 calendar year. So there is some news flow, but I will not get into the specifics of each uh, as there are numerous projects and I am not a geologist. Uh, you're going to hear me say that a few times uh, as I go over this presentation here. So uh, as I mentioned as well, the company also has over 70 royalties on mining projects throughout Western Canada. But keep in mind, these are royalties on exploration projects uh, that are not currently cash flowing. Uh, and in most cases, a 1% net smelter royalty can be bought out for about $1 million uh, Canadian. Um, but all of the company's revenue on its financial statements essentially comes from the geological and exploration services that it provides through TerraLogic. So that's a little bit of a segue into the financials here. Um, so this is uh, for the fiscal year end uh, 2022. Uh, now, the financials are a little messy because of the business's operations, which include investing in public junior mining companies. Um, but revenue for the fiscal year was about 17.3 million, 
up 38% from 12.5 million for 2021. And the increase in revenue was due to a large increase in exploration programs contracted. And again, uh, these revenues are essentially from the business's geological and exploration services that it provides through TerraLogic, such as consulting or, you know, diamond drilling, etc. Now, one thing that I will note is the company is not profitable on an operational basis uh, before its other items. Uh, and this has been the case for the last 10 years of operating. Um, so, you know, they are losing money on an operational basis. Now, comprehensive income was also a loss for the year at a loss of 568000 or a loss of one cent per share compared to a gain of about 885000 or one cent per share for fiscal year of 2021. Uh, but like I was saying before, it is quite messy due to its operations and investing in public companies. As you can see, a gain uh, on investments of about $1.86 million that they actually sold, and those are equity investments from my understanding, uh, as well as some unrealized losses uh, as well on equity investments of $2.4 million. So we can really see you know, the financials fluctuate quite drastically because of these equity investments. Now, to conclude... I do believe that it is an interesting company operating in the junior mining exploration space. And though the company provides some optionality through its portfolio of junior exploration projects, as well as its portfolio of royalties, this side of the business is a, a bit of a flyer, of course, even though the company does have a successful track record of returning capital back to shareholders through spinouts. However, there is no arguing that investing for future spinouts royalties on potential future producing deposits and royalty buyouts is speculative in nature. Now, regarding TerraLogic, where the business generates all of its revenue from, there has been good growth in revenue, but the company has had difficulty breaking into operating profit or even EBITDA over the past several years, which would leave us hesitant on the company. Now, it would be great to see the business ramp up profitability on its TerraLogic business, but this is yet to be seen. Now, the company currently has cash on the balance sheet of about $9.5 million with no debt and is likely a business which is superior to most of the exploration companies which we come across, especially considering Eagle Plains actually generates revenue through its TerraLogic business. But all in all, with no profitability and blue sky potential reliant on hitting big through exploration or its royalties, we would classify the stock as too speculative for our coverage and our clients. And now... I'm sure people on the internet uh, are going to give me a hard time considering I didn't go through any of their exploration projects or royalties, which have, you know, huge potential possibly, but you know, who knows, who knows, uh, you know, and I could have taken a look at each project, but again, I'm not a geologist and investing in junior exploration companies is just too speculative for us at Keystone. Yeah, no, it's a good summary. Um, as far as Eagle Plains, um, you know, there's... Uh, as far as if you're looking to speculate in junior resource companies, um, you know, it is an option within yeah. that. At least there are some revenues in the business and, you know, there can be some cash flow over time. They've returned capital, as you said, to shareholders, correct? Yeah, correct. Um, these are good things. Uh, but, you know, the valuing the business right now, uh, unless you're looking at a sum of parts and forecasting future potential returns um, it, in terms of their some of their, you know, royalty projects. It's just very difficult to do. There's just other businesses that we can find out there that trade at better valuations and have more certainty in terms of their cash flow and similar type of upside and growth. Like the, you know, there's businesses that Hammond Power is a company that comes to mind. It's been around for a hundred years. 
Um, over the past 20 years, it's done 3,500% since we recommended it. Over the past year, it's done almost 200% in terms of return. Uh, it has 500 plus million in revenues, pays a dividend that whole time, and gave you the blue sky type of returns that you're looking for for a company like Evil Plains with less downside in the business because of the fact that it has operating cash flows. So those are the type of businesses that we look at. Totally obscure. There's no recommendation in Canada on a company like Hammond Power. No coverage. So similar to like Eagle Plains, you know, not like the big banks are going to cover it. But you, at one point, it had a similar you know market cap to Eagle Plains in the past. Mm-hmm. But it has that underlying cash flow, the growth, and the blue sky upside that you're looking for when you invest in a quote unquote penny stock like Eagle Plains. Uh, why not find a business that has those things that you really want, underlying cash flow, good valuations, a growth path going forward, trading at a reasonable price, and you're trying to fix a lower downside yeah. in a company like that. So that's what we're looking for. Um, it's not to say Eagle Plains is not a bad company. Aaron, Brennan said this, sorry. Yeah. Within this segment, if you want to speculate on a company that is pure exploration, or they're not pure exploration, but an, if you wanted to look at a pure exploration company, this company has some exploration upside plus some revenues. So that's probably a better option. We're just taking it up a notch and going to a better company than that. And that's our criteria that we utilize. We want underlying cash flow and consistency and predictability going forward. And we go through, you know, the financial statements of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of juniors. And of course, you know, none of them have revenue. It's just straight to the expenses on all of their income statements. Yeah. And Eagle, like you said, Eagle Plains probably ranks at the top tier of that segment. Exactly. It probably does. But, you know, we want to go, we still don't want to bend our criteria to step outside of that because then you you start to get in trouble when you do that. Yeah. So that's going to end our show for this week. Uh, we'd like to keep your questions coming in for our Your Stock, Our Take segment. Uh, if you like the content, smash the subscribe button on YouTube. Um Get your questions and answers coming in, like or not your questions, and we'll answer those. And also, if you're listening to this on uh, iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast, but if you are on iTunes, rate and review us on there. We'd appreciate it. Thank you very much, and I wish you profitable investing. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Shazar and Don.